Do you want to know more about vampires, werewolves, zombies, and man-made monsters? Would you like to know more about the classic Universal Monster movies responsible for creating the entire horror genre? Then listen to our podcast, Let's Talk Monsters. Where we discuss everything monsters. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Booby Trap Chat. I'm Mike. I'm Leanna. In this mini holiday episode. We're going to preview some of the episodes that we're going to do in 2024. Yeah, so it's one of the things that we want to do in future episodes, hopefully coming up soon in January or February, is we want to start interviewing some of Chuck's victims and have them tell their story. We have already reached out to a couple people who agreed to do it. That's one of the requests that fans have, I should say, one of the complaints was that the original Booby Trap didn't have enough interviews with other people like Chuck's victims. And we didn't really get enough people who were affected by Chuck involved in the original Booby Trap podcast. So what we want to do is we want to interview some of these people and let just let them tell their story. Hopefully it'll give the listeners some insight into what Chuck was doing. You'll get other people's point of view, the, you know, the lens that they saw the story through or if they were they were involved in a different way so right one of the people that we reached out to was willard allensworth's sister and she's going to tell willard's story because of course he's passed away now she has a very interesting story to tell about some of the stuff that happened to willard and willard of course was one of chuck's victims he was a boy scout he was good friends with richie i knew him pretty well he was a friend of mine Um, i'm sure you knew him right yeah we went to school with him and he got caught up in you know chuck's web and he wound up being part of Chuck's whole effort to want to kidnap Jerry Bukowski. And so, of course, Willard was arrested with Chuck that night in 1982. But there's so much more to Willard's story. Yeah, Willard went through a lot. Willard really went through a lot. Yeah, he did. I mean, and I'm not making comparisons, but, you know, I feel like Willard really got raked over the coals with Chuck and that whole thing. Yeah, he did. And, you know, one thing that I wasn't really able to put in the original podcast definitively, I think there's maybe we mentioned it in passing, but uh, Willard actually wound up becoming a hero because he wound up doing the right thing, even though he was arrested with Chuck and he was more or less an ally of Chuck's, mainly because Chuck was abusing him and blackmailing him. But he ultimately uh decided to work with the prosecution and testified against Chuck, which helped to put Chuck in jail for three years. So ultimately, Willard did the right thing, we could say. And uh, and that took a lot of guts, you know, that took a lot of guts. It did. And Donna is his younger sister, and she remembers all that stuff. I actually had a really long conversation with her a little while back. The story that she tells is really, really wild. 
Yeah. So she's coming soon um, in a future episode. And like I said, there's a couple other people who have agreed to talk to us and tell their stories. Another thing that I want to mention, we're going to try to tackle in future episodes. Like we've already said, this movie trap chat is more or less a retelling of the story in a more casual way. You know, for people who have already listened to the show, you guys already know the salient points of the story. But uh, we also want to dive a little bit into some of the stuff that we didn't cover in the original podcast, stuff that we discovered through research that we did with the production company we were with for a year and a half. And uh, all of this stuff is pointing towards most likely there being a pedophile file ring that Chuck was connected with or linked into. And so we want to dedicate some future episodes to doing a little bit of investigative journalism with you, the listener, and share stuff in real time, evidence that we're coming across to support this theory that we do believe this pedophile ring still exists and most likely there are very powerful and influential people involved in it. Of course, we have to be careful. (laughs) We want this podcast to be productive. We don't want it just to be reviewing and updating and reminiscing and all of that. You know, this nostalgic stuff is good too, but we also want it to be productive. We want to be making progress and moving forward with the story. Another thing we want to talk about next year is how our story fits in with a lot of these documentaries that have come out about child abuse in the Boy Scouts. So far, there have been at least half a dozen have come out in the last few years. And one of the ones that just recently came out was a Netflix production called Scouts Honor. And while all of these documentaries are really good and they tell certain parts of the story that are important and all of that stuff, none of these stories have what our story has which is a personal angle to it. Well, our story, it's like taking part of those stories and focusing in on that. So if you look at the amount of Boy Scouts that were affected by all the BSA stuff, and you just come right down to our little neighborhood in our place, isn't it interesting to hear the specifics of that story from people who remember it when it was happening and when it happened? Right, exactly. We have a lot of personal experience and. And that's that's also where a lot of that nostalgia comes in, yeah. too, because we were all school age kids when that happened. Our story comes across much more like a narrative. It's authentic. Yeah. As a narrative. And it's not just and I'm not knocking any of these people who have worked really hard on on the story and exposing child abuse, sexual abuse and the Boy Scouts. They all deserve a lot of credit. But it's a lot of these documentaries, including the Scouts Honor, when they all sort of wind up coming across the same way, which is it's a very generic overview of a systematic problem. It's usually told or produced or written by these investigative journalists who don't have any personal connection to it at all. And I'm not knocking their abilities or anything. It's just not the same thing. It's It's an overview of what happened over a long period of time. But I think that, you know, one, like, how do you pick whose story you're gonna tell? There's so many stories. And the other issue is people being willing to speak about it, much less being interviewed, you know, doing a documentary that, you know, millions of people might see like there's so there's a that's just getting people to talk to you on the phone is hard enough. Right. And we've had that personal experience. Right. But the thing is that we're, we're telling the story from our perspective because we remember most of that stuff. Right. Of course. Yeah. And that should be a testament to how dramatic and how, you know, it's really, really 
changed and ruined people's lives. And it's just, you know, that, that they would call or get in touch with one of us and, and we would speak to them and they'd be enthusiastic about, you know, yeah, let's do this, you know, tell a story. And, and then they would just, that, that was it gone. Like they would agree to continue and then you would just never hear from them again. Right. So that's just a testament to that it just brings it all back up for them. Yeah. And then they have to slow it down. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so it is difficult and it takes a lot of hard work and stick-to-itiveness. It can be very discouraging at times to try to get a story like this out there to the masses. Uh, That's why we're doing this podcast. And, you know, we did have uh, a documentary in the works for a while. And as things stand right now, uh, there's nothing on the horizon, but we feel very strongly about this story and we're not going to give up and we're going to keep on fighting and campaigning for some production company or someone to come along and help us get this story out because this story needs to get out. And I think ultimately in the end, it will be for the good because it will hopefully expose a lot of these people who are still in these powerful positions and are able to manipulate people, take advantage of kids, things like that. So we're trying to get this thing done for the right reason. It's frustrating is all I can say because we see other stories coming out. Some of the feedback we got when we were shopping this story to some of the streaming companies was, oh, the story's too dark. 14-year-old kid winds up getting killed. Oh, the story's too dark. Not with what you see. Yeah, you see some crazy stuff. Right, and then you turn on Netflix and there's... There's a guy killing cats. Yeah, yeah five documentaries about Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, eight, 18 documentaries on the Zodiac Killer. Another five documentaries. Yeah. When uh, is they ever going to stop? It is a dark story, but it's not any darker than a lot of other stuff. Exactly, see. exactly. And... and Despite the darkness of the story, we tell it in a way where we are trying to relate to our generation that we've already explained in a previous episode. That this might not be this, a story for the Zoomers or the Millennials or maybe the you know, the Baby Boomers. I don't know. Maybe they'll like it. But this is story is specifically told from the perspective of Gen Xers to Gen Xers. We're not trying to sensationalize anything. We're just telling a story to people who are our own age and we feel like they will understand the context in which we're telling the story because they were there too. Most people could probably find something about it that's very relatable. Basically what I'm trying to say is in future episodes, we are going to be branding this stuff. We're really trying to get this out there with the hope that some production company will hear about it and come along and say, this is a fascinating story. We want to help you get this story out there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And then lastly, we just wanted to wish everyone happy holidays. You know, happy new year. Merry Christmas. I'm going to put a weird picture of Michael up on the internet (laughs) on our Instagram page as soon as he sends it to me. Okay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We want to thank all of you for your support. We've gotten great feedback for this 
booby trap chat that we've started. We weren't sure how many episodes we were going to do. Initially, we, we were only intending to do one and just update everyone. Uh, but we got such a good response that we decided to do one more. And then we got a really good response. And we just decided, you know, let's just we can't promise you that they'll come out weekly. I think that's a little overly ambitious, but we will try to pepper them in as best we can uh, over the course of next year. And once again, we just thank you for your support. As usual, we like to close with some light stuff. And we both just wanted to share a couple stories about what it was like growing up. I guess for both of us, we're about the same age. So it'd be the late 60s, early 70s, growing up in South Florida around Christmas time and the way that South Florida did Christmas in those days. <laughs> you know, Do you remember uh, the 163rd Street Mall and how they would decorate it? And this is yeah. before they enclosed it. Yeah, yeah. No, and it was an open mall. Yeah, it was an open mall. It was beautiful. I used to love that. They had a Birdines. Birdines was kind of like our Macy's down there. That was sort of like the main store of the mall. Yeah. It had that classic late 50s, early 60s architecture to it. Yeah, it, it was is. such a beautiful mall. And then they ruined it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and the freaking 80s came along and they ruined it. Well, they used to have that the little carnival, too, with the merry-go-round and... There were a couple of rides. Yeah, they added yeah. rides in the end. Remember, all the pigeons would always be out in the courtyard. Yeah, yeah, and and it was funny. Originally, the rides were were nice and clean, and uh, <laughs> you know, by the time we were like maybe what. 12 or something. Mm -hmm. Those, man, those rides were really, you know, because you know, South Florida with the weather and everything, a lot of yeah. those rides had really seen better days and, you know, they were really just fallen into disrepair. So they eventually removed all of the kiddie rides and then they enclosed the mall. But I remember going to see Santa Claus when I was a really little kid. We went and saw Santa Claus in there. And the other thing I wanted to mention was the weather because... Did you feel like it was cooler? Yes, exactly. And I found this information that said that the 1970s was one of the coldest decades of the 20th century. Hmm. And, and not just for South Florida, but like all across the United States, there was a sort of record lows everywhere. I remember waking up in December and January <laughs> and it was like in the upper 20s in South Florida. I mean, yeah. I, I've been living in San Francisco for over 30 years. It's never been that cold one single day, Ooh, you know. It was cold, that cold last night. Where where, where you live, yeah, but you're in Asheville. <laughs> that's, you know, that's supposed to be cold. Right that's supposed yeah. to be cold. I know. Uh, but I'll never forget 1977, January of 77. I was in sixth grade and we, uh, it was cold that morning. I remember I put on two sweaters and a jacket. It was in the upper 20s and I walked to school and it was, the wind was sort of, you know, there was a breeze. And I guess with the wind chill factor, it was probably even colder. And it was cold. And we had nothing in Oak Grove Elementary. We didn't have heaters. We didn't have air conditionings. So was, when it was hot, it was hot. When it was cold, it was cold. Mm -hmm. And right around lunchtime, it started to drizzle a little, you know, like just, just uh -huh. a little bit of a, you know, like a little bit of a light rain. Right. And one of the kids in my class said, it's snowing. And I thought he was joking. He was sort of like the class comedian. His, his name was Helcio Cardoso. And he used to always make jokes. And we all just thought he was joking. He was sort of like the mm. prankster of the class. And, right. and we all looked out and sure enough, there were these little snowflakes coming down and we just all ran outside and just, it was the greatest thing, you know, just being able to play in the snow. I mean, now of course the snow didn't stick when it hit the ground. It, it didn't, yeah. But still to have snowflakes falling on you. That was a cold winter. I remember going out and Julie's mom used to drive us to school and we were trying to scrape the ice off of the windshield. I mean, we because of Florida, you're down there, you don't know, you have no idea how to do that stuff. Like when you dress for cold weather, oh yeah. You're just literally just putting on a bunch of clothes because you don't have 
warm stuff. No, no. Yeah. There's no reason to. It really caught everyone off guard. It really was yeah. just that one 10 year stretch from like 1968 to like 1979 or like, you know, it was just like pretty much the bulk of our childhood. And, and we were just fortunate enough growing up in a city like Miami <laughs> to have this really nice, cold, crispy, cold Christmas weather around Christmas yeah. time every year. And I miss mm-hmm. it. You know, every, every, every Christmas comes along and I sit here in San Francisco and rainstorms and it's, you know, 55 degrees outside. And it's just like, yeah. you know, I love San Francisco weather most of the time, but not this time of year. It is the worst weather this time of year. So I have a quick Christmas story. When I was a kid, I lived in a house in, uh, in Miami. I was still further south than I was when we met each other. But my parents would just deck the house out and my cousins would come around and maybe there would be grandparents from Bogota that would come in. And on Christmas Eve, my when I would go to bed, my dad would get up on the roof and he would make sounds like like and I'm in the bed like, oh, my God, you know, there's reindeer Mm -hmm. on the roof. And my mom would get a pair of his shoes and she would put baby powder on them and make tracks like walking in from the glass sliding door because we didn't have chimneys, right? Right. So from the glass sliding door to the tree. And then, of course, you know, the cookies that were half eaten and stuff. But I remember being in bed and being like, oh, my God. <laughs> remember, I'm an only kid, so I couldn't be like it was just me, you know? Right, right. And I thought that, yeah, yeah, I fell for it. Yeah, of course we all do. My, uh, I, I had one of those too, uh, although it was more of an audio as opposed to a visual experience. Mm-hmm. I think it was Christmas of 72. I was seven. I got, as one of my gifts, I got one of those uh, shoebox tape recorders, the same one that I described in the episode about Tony Simmons, you know, with the, with the mm-hmm. tape recorder. It was my father and my aunt, Janny, and they put like a little Santa hat on the tape recorder with a little, they used cotton balls to sort of make a beard. <laughs> Just, and that's how they wrapped it. They made it look like Santa. And so, uh, and they hid it like way behind the tree and stuff. So I thought all my presents, I had already opened all my presents and my aunt Janie says, no, no, there's one more Mikey. And then she gave me that and there was a cassette in it. And I, and she goes, you have to listen to the cassette. And so I, you know, I pressed play and uh, it was my dad pretending to be Santa Claus, you know? And, <laughs> and so he was recorded himself, you know, he's like, hi, Mikey. Yeah. Ho, 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 ho. Yeah, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> I got a tape recorder for you, Mikey. And then my Aunt Janie, uh, she played the role of the elves that were helping like, oh, Santa. Yeah. yeah. So she's like, oh, Mikey, hi, hi, you know? You know, they were all getting drunk while they were doing all oh, this. Oh, totally. Stuff, right? Yeah. That, this is Mad Men. <laughs> like it's, they, you know, just think of an episode of Mad Men, you know? Yeah. So I was a little worried years later about my dad being up on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and th- there's a reason why my mom wasn't in that, uh, it was my Aunt Janie it was because my mom was hung over, you know? So oh, she, she, she couldn't even be part of that whole thing. Right. So, oh, uh, God. Yeah. Yeah, Christmases were fun. It's things have definitely changed, but I don't want to sound like an old person. Uh, we but, are. Uh, we are old people. <laughs> yeah. Think for yourself. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, anyway. that's that's our Christmas episode and uh, you know, it was light and we just, you know, n- nothing really informative here other than we just wanted to give you guys a preview of what's to come next year. Bye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Leave us five stars and a review. Thanks.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you want to know more about vampires, werewolves, zombies, and man-made monsters? Would you like to know more about the classic Universal Monster movies responsible for creating the entire horror genre? Then listen to our podcast, Let's Talk Monsters. Where we discuss everything monsters. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.